Welcome to the Hybrid Pub Scout Podcast. My name is Emily Einelander, and we are recording live from Jan's in Beaverton, Oregon. Everybody say yay! Yay! yay. So today's uh, panel is going to be about uh, the business of being an author is our series, and we'll be doing more of these, hopefully. And um, this is about branding yourself as an author. And we have three very accomplished, knowledgeable people here who are going to talk about branding in general and then branding as an author what you should be doing, you know, if you want. You're master of your own destiny. So first, at the end of the table here, we have Mary Bisbee Beek. Mary has worked in book publishing for over 35 years, both as a staff member at Independent Presses on the West Coast and at the University of Michigan Press. From 1992 through 2003, she was the owner and director of Beek's Bee Books, a full-service publicity and marketing consulting office. In 2010, a move to the West Coast precipitated the opening uh, of a new independent office, Read with an exclamation point. That's why I said it like that. A unique perspective covering the areas of publicity, marketing, and foreign rights work. And in 2016, Publishing Sherpa was added to help writers move from manuscript to book. The Read Publishing Sherpa offices are in Portland, Oregon, and their working territory is worldwide. Say hi, Mary. Hi, everybody. All right. Next, we have Courtney Clark. Courtney has been in the creative business all her life and in the creative business branding business for almost three years and is a natural creative type who received a degree in art with a focus on painting. She is a graphic designer and social media manager with a focus on helping small to medium-sized businesses be seen. Brand development and social media communication is where she thrives. Hi. Hello. <laughs> All right. And then we have Tara Lehman. Uh, Tara graduated from Portland State University with a master's of science in writing, specializing in marketing and editing in book publishing with a concentration in children's publishing in 2013. Her work has progressed through sales, marketing, editing, design, and event coordinating. She currently works as marketing and publicity associate at Oni Press. Hi. Hello. <laughs> We're sharing a mic today. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, let's get started. And I think that we know a little bit about each other already. So let's just jump right into the branding side of things, because I feel like we could talk about this forever. Um, so, Mary, start us off. What What is a brand? Let's not even author brand. What's a brand? Well, you know, it's really funny because when you asked me to um, participate tonight, I started thinking about branding. And when I think about branding, I actually immediately go backwards and I think about marketing. So I, for authors, I think about when you write a book, when you think about marketing, who is your audience and how, are, how do you want to sell to that audience and how do you want to appeal to that audience or maybe appeal comes before selling. Um, so how are you how are you shouting yourself out? That's kind of branding. And a lot of that is about um, how you how you want your book to look and the, the decision of design, the decision of your website, um, whether you're self-publishing or publishing through a hybrid situation or through a traditional situation. And all of those components are going to have you thinking about this differently um, 
in a traditional setting, you're probably going to have more help and people kind of guiding you. In a hybrid situation, you're going to have a little bit of help. Um, and in a self-publishing situation, you're pretty much on your own. So that's how I kind of see the idea of branding. All right. Courtney, when I say branding, uh, with the business that you are in, it's, it's a little bit outside of books as well, right? Yes, it is. All right. So it, what is your take on the idea of branding? So I work with mostly like small to medium sized businesses and establishing really a look and feel for their business. Um, really a lot of all those visual aspects that come to, into play for a business. Um, so, I mean, I see an author as a small business and um, or medium or even large, depending on on their books. But um, I so I mean, really establishing the look and feel and, and everything visual that goes along with that to make sure things are flowing through. And when somebody sees something that represents you, they go, oh, that's so-and-so. I know that's you. So um, that's really how I see it. Great. I like the, I see you. I know that's you. <laughs> that's what I would take away yeah. from it. Tara? Well, I feel like they pretty much covered most everything, um, but going off of what Courtney said, branding isn't just what you yourself do, but it's also the impression others get about you. So think about your favorite brands that you use in the kitchen or in the home or even in the office. You know, you, you think about your favorites. I don't know, aluminum foil. Do you use Reynolds? Do you use something else? Why do you use it? Is it because you've always used it or is it because of the way that they come across in their marketing and in their branding? When you think about the authors that you like to read, is it because their book is just so fantastic? Which it entirely might be. It also might be because of the way they come across in their day-to-day life because that's a lot of what happens nowadays when it comes to publishing. We have to take into consideration how we present ourselves to our readership. So... When you are, lost my train of thought there for a second. Um, As far as the branding goes for yourself, you don't want to just think about the outward appearance of what you are portraying. You've got to think about who you want your base to think, or what you want your base to think about when they think about you. Do they want, do you want them to think about you as someone who provides a lot of comfort or a lot of information or someone who provides a an escapist moment during the day you know so when you think about the branding for yourself it's important to take into consideration of course the marketing and the appearance of things but the appearance of things not just as in the visual appearance but the appearance of things as far as like what somebody will think about when they think about you so you're saying that your own personal personality plays a part in this as well. Yes, I would agree with that. I would also say that when it comes to branding, and this might be going a little bit too far into it, but I <laughs> can't help myself. Um, Don't worry, I'm here. When you're, thank God for that. Um, <laughs> when you are figuring out the branding for yourself, ideally, what I would recommend is that you have the outward facing persona as well as if you need to have social media for your interior facing self, more personal aspects. Like you have a Facebook page, but you've got an author page, but you also have your personal page. You are getting a little bit ahead. I'm getting a little bit ahead. So I you pushed me. Okay. <laughs> Think I'm whatever gonna, you want. I'm going to hand off the mic. <laughs> Don't ask me questions. I like it. I like it. We'll get back to it. I'm just saying. I want to I hear more 
about what you th- how you think the personal side of someone um, plays into this author branding. Um, Mary, you look like you are well, ready to jump I, I in there. I was going to get off the tinfoil um, idea. And certain publishers have certain looks. Like if you um, read anything by Algonquin, there's usually a specific kind of trim size that's a little different or the the covers are white with very clear graphics or um, the books just pop in a different kind of way. And you can walk up to a book and you think, as you're approaching it, you think, I bet that's an Algonquin book. Chronicle has the same kind of thing, um, where they have a very clear identity about how the books are going to look. And so does that determine that you want to own every Chronicle book or every Algonquin book? Probably not, but if you have a really good experience with one or two of those books, you're going to gravitate back in that direction. Um, Having worked as a bookseller for a very brief period of time, people would come in at the end of the day after hearing Terry Gross on Fresh Air, and they'd say, I can't remember the name of the author that was just interviewed, but it was kind of about, and we could, you know, we'd sort of immediately know, or, gee, there was a book here yesterday sitting on this table. I don't remember the author or the title, but it was read. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and that was always my favorite. <laughs> so, Branding kind of speaks to all of these things. Um, what what appeals to your own eye and what will correspond with your story? So it almost sounds like you're saying that you have to think about where you belong when you're thinking of how you want to brand yourself. Yeah, a few years ago, romance novels had um, very similar covers. There was always the back of a woman in a pastel dress with a lot of shoulder blade showing. (laughs) Shoulder blade. And I can remember a friend of mine saying, I can't wait till these women start turning around again. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Um, Courtney, what do you think the first thing someone should ask themselves is when they're trying to create their own brand? Oh, the first thing. Um, I mean, I think a good question to ask yourself is what sets you apart? What makes you different? Because that's what's going to differentiate differentiate, if I can speak, differentiate yourself um, and your brand from everyone else out there. Um, So you do really have to look at what is going to make you different. Um, And just going back to the um, kind of personal aspect, um, with this day and age of social media, people do want to know what's behind a book, what's behind a brand, um, the realness behind it. So I mean, it's also very it can become very important to um, be able to share some of that behind the scenes and the um, personal aspect of that book, the person behind the book, um, I think is very important as well. All right. So when you're thinking about the person behind the book, you're also thinking about like, who cares? (laughs) You know, who cares about who you are when you're trying to fit into these spaces? Um, Can you elaborate a little bit more on like how someone can find that audience when they're putting their personal um, personality, their personal personality across? Yeah, Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I mean, it's also, again, like said, finding what makes you different and what, um, what your passions are. I mean, and how, um, and how your, you know, career sets you apart from everyone else out there. So just looking at, um, 
it, and it doesn't have to be perfect. Everything doesn't have to be perfect anymore. It can be real. It can be um, uh, a real, I mean, being real with the people who follow you and who um, want to know you. So um, having a realness to your brand is, I think, important as well. Tara? Authenticity is important, but I would be careful about using it excessively because if you are angling for your brand to be considered authentic, there is kind of an uncanny valley perspective to that where you can lean so hard into the authenticity where it no longer is you yourself talking, but this persona the instagram effect the instagram <laughs> effect, exactly um so i think something that should be considered is to what degree are you willing to share yourself that you want to keep authentic to your brand and to what degree do you want to keep part of yourself to yourself um because your followers your readers anybody who's interested in your brand's you may feel like you owe them something, but you don't owe them everything. Yeah, yeah. I do agree with that. I mean, you definitely want to have limits on on what you are willing to share. Um, so, yeah, I do agree with limiting yourself, but still being able to have some sort of realness and authenticity. Let's come back to drawing those lines, those boundaries. But first, let's talk about nitty gritty. Okay, so like, what are the material things that people need in their um, career to express their brands? I'm talking like social media, newsletters, etc. And like, you know, how do they bring that together cohesively? Baseline, I'd say probably a website. Um, if you're not a social media person, that's fine. People look for social media, but if you don't feel comfortable doing it, it could probably be more of a hindrance for you yourself than a benefit. But baseline, a website. You need somebody, you need a, a place, a safe place for people to land when they're searching for you. And if they don't have that, if they don't have an easy access to find out, say, whatever book that you're writing or whatever product that you are producing or promoting then they're going to forget about it and they might go somewhere else. I agree. Some sort of online presence because, I mean, we're in the day and age where somebody's going to Google you. So making sure you um, have some sort of online presence that people can find out information about what you're doing um, is really important and about your work. Um, so what I always tell authors is a, a good website. And then we talk about the reality of budget. Um, so I've right now I'm working with um, these two women who are who wrote co-wrote a mystery together, and um, it's very spare. It's elegantly written. It's um, it's a little creepy. It's a good story. Um, and they <clears throat> excuse me. They have literally poured every penny that they could possibly have into buying. Um, their way to the top in some ways. So in, they did it three Instagram tours um, where we'd send books to people who were interested and each was about 20 or 25 books. So the publisher donated those books and they got 
pictures of the cover, and usually some form of regurgitation of our press release. Um, I don't know how many of these people actually read the book. So that's one thing that was like an immediate kind of bing, 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 bing for me about is this money well spent? Um, But a lot of these uh, Instagrammers then would invite them to come and give talks in their homes. So it was like book club uh, possibilities and sort of salon esque possibilities. I mean, it's kind of kind of cool, kind of different. I've never heard of that. An yeah. Instagram tour? Yeah. Okay. Um, you pay for it, um, and you pay at a different level for depending on how much you want. Um, and there are a couple of different services that around the country that organize these and administrate them. That's interesting. Yeah. I and would... you can do it. You know. Th- just social media tour and it can be Facebook or Twitter or, but Instagram is the hot new thing. I'm interested in, you've been doing this a really long time compared to us. And I would love to know how you've seen it change over time and how, what you think of that qualitatively. I think that if an author has um, some money um, and basically it is a big dollars and cents situation at this point, um, that it makes them feel very proactive. And depending on the personality of the author, that can be extremely important. These two people really need to feel like absolutely no stone has been left unturned. Um, They've given away hundreds of books, some of which the publishers donated, some of which they've purchased at cost to, to give away. Goodreads. Um, library thing. Um, Again, the Instagram. Um, They're doing something called, um, uh, uh, I think it's like Subway Giveaway, where they leave books on the subway in New York, and then people take pictures after they've picked up the book, and, and they can like leave the book on the subway, and someone else can have it, or, or they take a book with them. Um, I haven't found out if that how that's gone yet. They're doing something right now with BookBub um, and a special Kindle offer for the holidays. Wow. Um, and, you know, a 99-cent book is beguiling in some ways, but I always go back to, you know, does that really equate with your creative and intellectual property? Do you want to be known as the 99-cent author? Hmm. Yeah, that's a big question. It's a huge, mm-hmm. it's a huge question. I think it's, you know, there's some ethics involved. And well, that has a lot to do with what you're saying about where you decide to fit in somewhere. Right, right. right. Courtney, um, will you talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of building a brand on social media a little bit? Yeah, I mean, um, I work a lot with Instagram um, with the clients I work with. And so um, it is a visual platform. So um, making sure that you um, really have a clear, concise, I mean, essentially you want to set out like a branding plan monthly or weekly about what you want to cover on social media and make sure you have the visual aspects to match that. Um, so, I mean, there is a bit of planning involved and, um, making sure you're saying the things you want to say on there. So, um, really 
and it, that can be very time consuming. So that's why brands will hire me to help them with that because um, it can be time consuming to put that all together. Um, and where I really strive is with the visual aspects um, and where an author would really come in great would be with the communication and the writing aspects on social media. So, um, so I could see working with an author to be a lot of fun because they would have the writing background where I have more of the visual background. Um, but yeah, it is, um, a very visual platform. So thinking about when somebody's scrolling through Instagram, what's going to stop them and make them want to interact with your post. Um, it's also all about engagement on there. So how are you engaging with that audience on in there? Um, are you asking them questions? Are you using your stories to engage with your audience? Um, so really Instagram wants people to stay on their app as long as possible. So the longer you're keeping people on that app, um, the higher rank your um, posts are going to go. So that's really kind of the nuts and bolts of it, I guess. <laughs> you have anything to say about that? So granted, I haven't worked in the industry nearly as long as Mary. And um, granted, I don't have I'm older than dirt. <laughs> no, 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 no. You just have a wealth of experience. We don't want to navel gaze here, no. so we need... <laughs> you just have a wealth of experience that I am honored to be on a panel with <laughs> because it's kind of mind-boggling. Um, and I also don't quite have the um, the social media integration experience of Courtney. However, I will say that in my... God, it's been a decade... Um, which for me is a long time. <laughs> uh, but in, in my time in working in publishing, I've come to realize that, especially for people who are just starting out, their debuts, they're kind of left with the whole, okay, I have a book. I have a book and I'm trying to get it out to people. Do I need a lot of money? The answer is no, you don't necessarily need a lot of money. If you want to put money towards something, marketing-wise, PR-wise, that's a great investment. However, there's a lot of things that you can do to help push the needle that you may not necessarily need to spend an enormous amount of money on. Working within your writing community is a big thing. They will be your number one fan. They will push the envelope as far as you, your name, your brand, your title, what have you. Also, you can work within the community to do giveaways. You can do podcast interviews with people that you know. So you're saying when you when you're saying work within your community, you're saying if you have other friends who have written books, have, have them other do friends, giveaways on their pages. Have them do giveaways on their pages. Have them help you out because I guarantee you, when it's their turn, they're going to turn to you too and ask for your help. Um, I will say that at the end of the day, with all the marketing and PR, the biggest thing is how is it going to help your sales? Because with the flashiest marketing and the flashiest PR. It will look really good on paper, but you got to think forward. How is it going to push sales? Mary? So there are a, a couple of things. When an author talks about going on Goodreads and being active on Goodreads, I suggest that um, they be generous, and it's not all about them or about their book. And largesse goes a long way in this industry on both sides, with publishers and with authors um, and with readers. And if you are on Goodreads and you talk about a great book that you just read and not mention your own book, it's actually a really, a really good thing. The other thing, there are at least two booksellers in the room. And um, my question is, 
to Jane is, does anyone come into the store and say, hey, I just saw this great book on Instagram. Do you have it? Because, you know, to go back to the idea of um, a publicist or a marketing director doesn't want to give an author busy work. You know, when an author says, oh, what can I do? How can I help? What should I be doing? You you start to, you know, almost inventing things just so that they'll leave you alone and let you do your job. Um, and and you know, I don't mean that in a mean-spirited way. I totally understand. But, but there, is a, there is a point where you just, you know, you have to be patient and you have to let things work. Um, granted, we all say there are no guarantees and there aren't, but... Um, you don't want busy work, but you do want them to feel like they're participating. And they've spent a lot of time sitting in isolation writing this book. And some people are really honest and say, you know, I'm not social. I can't do this. Or I can, I'm good for four or five readings, and then I'm done. And so you make the most of that. Because this is a, a business of introverts, so you kind of have to uh, ration energy, I would think. Unless you're marketing and PR. Um, I'm talking about the authors. Oh, the authors. Yeah, no, the authors are definitely a business of introverts. You have to be happy Um, all the time. Yeah, going off of what Mary said, and I 100% agree with you, um, is that there's a lot of stuff happening on the back end in a publishing company, whether it's traditional or hybrid. Um, There's a lot of stuff that we do. So you may see us at the surface, but we're like that duck with the feet just kind of going, going, going. So there's a lot of stuff that's going to be happening on the back end that may not interest you because it is quite literally the nuts and bolts, the hard, ugly tasks that we have to do to sell books, to get them into the stores, to get people to buy them. So like the NPR thing and the newsletter thing from Barnes and Noble and things like that, that's stuff that the publisher would be doing, that your your in-house publicist would probably be, and your in-house marketing director would probably be doing. The fun stuff like the social media giveaways that you can do yourself like reaching out to this branded audience that you have created for yourself things like that that you can do help because at the end of the day the number one marketing tactic that we all know is word of mouth you are going to take into account any books or any tv shows or any movies that your friends tell you that they love And then you yourself will nine times out of 10, go and check it out because your friends loved it. And it's just unless you're contrary like me, unless you're contrary (laughs) like Emily, but it's a snowball effect. And that's how a lot of the big names that we love and we know came to be so popular. It all started with word of mouth. Um, I want to hear a little bit from Courtney about, um, about that actual jump from marketing yourself uh, authentically just as a personal brand to actually selling things. So uh, what advice would you give authors or anyone who's selling anything in general um, to kind of like cross that barrier from, yes, you're my friend, like let's have a conversation to please buy this thing, please buy my book. Well, um, On social media, I mean, it's a fine balance of selling and kind of letting people into your world. So you can't be selling in every post. It's about um, letting people get to know you and um, get to know your work and and love you. And then you can sell to them, essentially. So um, it's kind of selling yourself first and then bringing the product afterwards a lot of times with the social media. Um, Also with social media, I think the demographic is a more... 
online based. People want to buy ebooks. People want to buy things online. They don't necessarily want, I know we're sitting in a bookstore. I'm sorry, Lori, but (laughs) people on Instagram don't want to go out to the store and buy something. They're looking to buy online. So um, yeah, Lori earlier was saying that, um, because this this wasn't picked up by the mic, but Lori was saying earlier that um, the people who find things on Instagram tend to buy eBooks and then people who buy print tend to be reached out through newsletters and uh, appearances on podcasts, radio shows, whatnot. Um, I didn't actually know that. I think that's really interesting. So your specialty is more the online like eBooks, yeah. it's etc. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it sounds like you're saying these these people are um, a little more digitally literate and and know what's going on. They don't have to be tricked. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it's, I think seventy five percent of the books sold in the U.S. are sold through Amazon. Mm-hmm. So that's wow. print. That's electronic. Yeah. Um, maybe even audio too at some point. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazon is not so much the elephant in the room as is the the norm in our life now and days. So it's something to take into account. Like a necessary evil. Like sort of a necessary thing. evil. So when you are promoting yourself, when you're promoting your book, it's always a good practice to on your website, for instance, include not just links to Amazon, but also links to Barnes and Noble, to Books a Million, to IndieBound. IndieBound collects the information for independent bookstores across the United States. It's also really good to do a shout out to your local neighborhood independent like Powell's or if you're or Jan's or if you're in Denver Tattered Cover or if in New, you're in New York, you know, the Strand or Books of Wonder or something. Or Parnassus in Nashville. Um, so it's it's always good to give a little bit of love to the people in your neighborhood who are going to give you a little bit of love. Well, I want to kind of pull the uh, the people who are here tonight. So if you are, how many of you are writing books? Woo! Woo! Everybody! Okay. How many of you are thinking of uh, traditional publishing as the route that you want to go? Okay, so so we have a lot of self-publishers. Uh, you, okay, so we got hybrid, we got self-publishing. So I'm imagining there's probably a lot of digital marketing, a lot of a lot of Amazon involvement. So that's kind of a a different animal in the way that you would present yourself, um, at least from what I'm hearing from everybody. Um, are you guys all overwhelmed by all the stuff? <laughs> well, you're not. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, I want to jump into a Q&A soon because it sounds like y'all know what you want, um, m- mostly. But I would like to ask first, because I think this might be kind of a fun question, what should authors avoid at all costs when they are um, building their brand? <laughs> Only because this this came up on, this has been coming up on Twitter quite frequently in the past like year if you are (laughs) if you are published and you have developed a reader base and the reader base comes out and says this book does not work for xyz reasons please don't fight back (laughs) don't don't argue with the reviewer don't argue with the reader disengage also please just it's never healthy to look up reviews of your book avoid at all costs (laughs) that way lies madness you will not enjoy that path. 
Uh, Mary? I agree with the not spending an abundant amount of time combing through reviews. And um, I will say that the number that your book is on Amazon does not correspond to sales. It's the number of times that people hit on your site and look at the book. So that's a really good thing to keep in mind. That's Um, interesting. And the numbers shouldn't bum you out because there are so many books published in the world um, every year. I mean, I think the U.S. is 250,000 books a year. And you got to take into consideration that that number has, what, quadrupled, quintupled in the last five, ten years alone with the inclusion of uh, the popularity of self-publishing and hybrid publishing. No, that in, that that's including. In that's including. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, the, the number keeps expanding rapidly as we continue in this publishing Y'all track. keep writing those books, well, as which a, is great. Cur- as a curmudgeon um, <laughs> oh, Mary. In, the, in the publishing world, it's true. Um, <laughs> I don't want a curmudgeon competition between you two, so play nice. I, I will say that I don't feel that technology has done a huge favor um, because everybody that wants to write should write, and not every book that's written needs to be published, I don't think. And that's why we have gatekeepers. And technology has created a situation where there are not fewer gatekeepers, but fewer people who feel they need gatekeepers, and so they do it themselves. Mm -hmm. And they're not getting good editing, and they're Mm -hmm. not working with good designers, and, you know, they're publishing, printing books with crappy paper, and they don't look very good. Agreed. so if we're, let's, let's work under the assumption that there are uh, a lot of us want to self-publish. Um, how do you not fall into the trap of being completely myopic and thinking everything you do is great? Like, how do you get help without having to spend a whole bunch of money? And how do you get like that good feedback that will make your book uh, worth people reading? Well, it's not about how much you spend necessarily, it's where you put your money, I think. And I think a good edit is a very good investment. Um, And really working at it and listening to the people that you've hired to help you with the edit. And then the next thing would be talking to some book designers about a nice cover. Mm -hmm. And And then, you know, you can upload your files and you can print through CreateSpace or IngramSpark or whatever it is and put it up on Amazon and then working with a publicist or having some clear idea, having had asked someone to, for help in uh, making a marketing plan mm-hmm. that maybe you can fulfill yourself or get help with it. Okay. That's money well spent. I agree with that. I would also go one step further and say before you go to the editor and I, I agree that you should absolutely put money into a decent editor and please do your research before you hire one because there are a lot of charlatans out there. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I would say talk to, if you have one, your writer's group and get critique partners, get beta readers, get people who may not necessarily be in the writing community to read your work, people whose opinion that you trust. Also, if there are sensitive topics in your book, get people who are aware or who have lived those situations, have them read it as well. Just to go back to the authenticity thing, just to make sure that you're dotting your I's and you're crossing your T's and you can get the best experience out of the gate when your book finally does come into its own. 
Um, Courtney, what, what would you say about, um, if you are doing everything yourself, like how would you manage that marketing social media side of things? If you can't find someone to do the photos for you, for instance, or you can't afford it, like how do you maximize doing a good job without, you know, making yourself maybe to detriment of your book? I think definitely take on what you think you can handle. Don't feel like you need to have a Twitter, Facebook, Instagram website, all of it. Focus on one or two of those that you know you can do well. Um, Also, I mean, when it comes to photos, I mean, a lot of our phones do take really great photos. And when if someone's looking at your Instagram and seeing a photo for a second or two, um, I mean, sometimes those photos can be good enough to use. So um, there's a lot of editing apps and a lot of... um, all sorts of apps you can use to edit photos um, on your phone. I mean, you could do it all from your phone. So um, really focusing on one or two things that you know you can do well and not trying to take it all on. um, And you'll be more effective in that regard versus trying to take everything on and doing it all poorly. That's great advice. Yeah. (laughs) That stuff can be overwhelming. Um, All right. uh, Do we have questions? Let's move on to the Q&A. Okay, so we're saying Goodreads. Um, so when you're an author and you're rating on Goodreads, you're asking how that may affect the way that other people see you as an author. All right, so what, what do we think? Is that a good idea? I don't think it's a bad idea. I mean, um, you know, I think that you have to consider Goodreads is not, you know, it's not the New York Times. It's not... Um, it's new. It's um, sort of nouveau um, reviewing. And uh, so someone sent me a book the other day and they asked me if they th- if I thought it had legs for, to be sold overseas into different languages. And I looked at the author's website and without reading anything, I just did a quick assessment. And none of her reviews are through newspapers or magazines. and It's all Goodreads or Amazon reviews. And these don't actually count in the eyes of editors that are looking to buy properties for, for, foreign, for foreign rights. But they will sell books and they will look at the sales numbers. So I don't see this as a bad thing. Um, when you look at books reviewed in the New York Times probably 80, maybe 90% of the reviewers are authors. So, you know, you're just, you're kind of fitting into that new niche, and I don't see it as a bad thing. Also, Goodreads is basically an opinion aggregator. So you would not be the first author to review books um, or review them in a, you know, very strict manner. Um, I will say that a lot of people, unless they are hardcore fans of an author generally don't jump on goodreads track down the author and glance through everything that they've ever read that's 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 a level of obsession that i think i'd be a little bit worried about honestly um so i think you will be fine as long as you don't like harshly call anything out in particular Exactly. And you would not be the first person to say, I really appreciate the attempt. However, this was not for me. I was not the audience for this. They're, they probably have quite a few reviews like that. I mean, has anybody ever seen those lists, like one-star reviews, and somebody's like reviewing, I don't know, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe? And they're like, the line wasn't funny. The wardrobe was only there for a page. I don't understand this. Like, 
You'll be... Exactly. I mean, if Stephen King can get a one-star review for being scary, I think you're okay. Anyone else? Yes? Where does genre fit in with branding? Thoughts or, or needs for clarification? Or? It's a really good question. And I think that genre would probably drive the branding. And you would look and see what other people in that area are um, doing. And again, we're going to go back. It, a lot of it all starts with a website. So your website... You're going to use the cover of your book as the graphic. You're going to have pull quotes from people who are blurbing your book. And that's going to help determine how you take the direction of your branding. I would also think, and this is just me, I'm not a publicist, but like if you are, um, think about comps. I used to do kind of acquisition stuff. When you, um, when you are writing in a particular genre, you have the benefit of actually knowing who your audience is. Um, Think about what your audience reads. Like if they're reading a certain thing, go find the books that they read and the books that are doing well and see how those look and how the authors are carrying themselves and what they're, you know, how they're engaging with their communities, optics, that sort of thing. Just find other people that you think are in your circle of what you're doing. Um, and that does have a lot to do with genre. I'd also say it really in my opinion, would help you kind of establish your target market thinking about genre. So, I mean, that's kind of where you have to start with a brand is establishing your target market and then moving from there and how you market to the, those people. I have nothing to add except that it, it, it really, it bouncing off what they say, it sets the tone for what you do moving forward. Um, so if you jump genres, you know, it's something to keep in mind that if you say, right, cozy mysteries right now but you down the line are going to write a romance something to take into consideration is changing making sure that your website is tonally middle of the road kind of so that you don't or even like creating a pen name for another or genre creating a pen name for another genre something to that effect that way you know you can market to equ either equally to both if you have a pen name or that you your website landing page is just for you as an author and then you could have individual pages for your books in the various series. Right. Yes. So how do generational differences play into branding? I would argue it depends on what genre you're writing. Um, because if you're writing YA versus if you're writing cozy mysteries, your target audience is going to be very different. And how you approach them is also going to be very different. Okay. So if you're, ta you're talking about whether what age group the romance itself is best for, like are we are working under the assumption that you have it in your brain that you know who it's for? Brie, do you want to answer this question? Somewhat. Wait, come here. <laughs> Extra panelist Brie. Okay, sorry about this. I have been self-publishing for three years. I make a, 
I make a living at it. Uh, primarily, I write romance, and so and I work with a lot of romance authors. Uh, I used to be an editor for them. And what I would say for romance is it depends on what niche romance you are, because typically the older generations will gravitate towards the cleaner romance, such as westerns or uh, historical, though historical can get pretty steamy. So what I would say is actually depends on the heat level. But then again, one of my biggest fans is about 57 and she's like, and I write steamy. So she sucks them up. So it all depends. Oh, I did not mean to say that. (laughs) We were all 12 years old. So I would say it depends on what subgenre of romance, and you need to dial that down because each subgenre of romance has their own branding. And so you have to look at those covers. You have to see what those groups on Facebook are doing to attract what generation of reader you're getting. Thank you. There's also something to be said for kind of breaking the mold. Um, You know, for the most part, running across all the the traditional tropes for whatever genre or subgenre that you're working within. But if you wanted to write a contemporary romance with a more mature protagonist, there would be an audience for that. It doesn't always need to be millennials. Um, Alternately, if you wanted to write... I'm reading a bear shapeshifter romance right now. Like, there's something for everybody. You, We're a selling a honey pot. badger shapeshifter romance at Powell's right now that's very popular. Lid for every pot, people. <laughs> what? I, is it? Okay, yeah, of course you would know. I mean, yes, she is the new Chuck Tingle. I think it's a little more uh, mainstream than. <laughs> I love honey badgers. First and foremost, before you can do any marketing or PR for your book, you need to write it. So, you know, you know, it, it doesn't. What? It is about branding, but I mean, full disclosure, I'm also a writer, so like, I, I, I get it. Uh, so say we all. So say we all. So say we all. But you Speak know, for yourself, <laughs> Mary's the one exception. Corinne, Corinne, yeah. I can say. Okay, so I'm the only panelist. I'm not the host, Emily. Don't roll your eyes at me. Um, as as the sure? only <laughs> as the only so-called panelist who is also a writer on this thing, you know, when you start writing something, you have a general idea of where something's going to go, but you won't know until it's polished. So I say, write the book, figure out where the story takes you, determine from there what your target demographics are. And that'll dictate what your genre and subgenre are. So if you have an idea for that mature contemporary rom-com, write the mature contemporary rom-com. There will be an audience for it. It may just be an avenue that hasn't been tapped yet. And in which case, it will explode. (laughs) And the marketing will be very easy. (laughs) That's very optimistic. I have one other thing to add. I would say when you're marketing to multiple multiple generations you may have a brand in place but you just might have to market in different places to reach those generations so I mean you're yeah so you just have to look at where you're marketing and where that generation is finding their books yeah 
Yeah. You know, one of the things I would suggest is once your book is, you know, pretty much close to finished or you're comfortable in showing it to people, it's not just people in your writing group, but feel comfortable with a local bookseller or a librarian and, you know, ask them to give a beta read on it. And it's really handy. Librarians are very, very to the point about books. Yeah, they don't lie. They don't <laughs> lie, no. And they're, and they're not afraid to um, not only be candid, but they're, they're very kind about it, but in a no-nonsense kind of way, generally. I will say my, my Oma, she used to manage a bookstore for many years, and um, she now volunteers at the library. But she reads a lot. If you ever want an honest opinion, she has an honest opinion about most books she reads. So, <laughs> and, and, you know, she's retired and reads. That's pretty much what she does. So. We'll post her number yeah, on yeah. the website. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong? Oma. Yeah, call Oma. Oh. Oh. Shelly? So, um, you were talking earlier, I think you about, Mary, about, like, if you have a limited budget, where to spend it, but you mentioned, like, the editor of the cover and establishing a marketing plan. Let's say you have a book that's already published, self-published, and then, like, um, so I wrote a book, it came out about a year ago, a year and a few months. Nominated for the Oregon Book Award. Um, but, um, in what area? What genre? Adult. Sorry? Young adult. Young adult, okay. Mm -hmm. um, but like, I have put almost zero money into marketing, and I think the sales reflect that. Um, but like, I'm like, is it a good idea to spend like a hundred or a couple hundred dollars on like a Goodreads giveaway or a Kirkus review? Or like, I guess I'm just not sure You're the book is out. You're trying to figure out whether if an existing book that you have is worth investing money in a marketing plan for, is that? I guess so, or if, I mean, I am working on another one, so maybe planning better to, for that one, but not okay. so much like focusing on the cover or the book itself, but just like, where should I put my energy in terms of marketing? Okay. I would put your energy into finishing your next book <laughs> but but Agreed. that's not the end of this book because you can do things for the first book when the second book is mm -hmm. warming oh, up idea. that you know they can get mentions and things like that but if you have a limited budget I would be very cautious about uh, putting money into something that's already out okay. and it was probably has a 2018 or 2019 early 2019 copyright date 2018, yeah, that's yeah. It's a, yeah. Unfortunately, people like Kirkus and a lot of reviewers tend to be mostly forward-facing. Um, so save your money for the next book. Mary's right. Well, you don't necessarily we, we have to pay. You don't necessarily have to pay for a Kirkus. Are no. you going to self-publish the second book as well? You can. You can still submit it to Kirkus. Even absolutely. The, the only thing about paid reviews is that they guarantee you a review they don't necessarily guarantee the caliber review you can get the same thing with Kirkus and a lot of the other trade reviewers if you don't necessarily pay for them i will say though that publishers weekly does give a special shout out to self-published books um that is a paid thing however 
But if you want to go that route, PW does do like um, inserts in their monthly magazines where they give shout outs to self-pub titles. And they also give like cover love and things like that too. Um, Something to consider. Also be wary because a lot of the trade reviewers who are catering to self-published authors, they are charging (laughs) a lot of money. Um, So it might be worthwhile to look at other reviewers, not just trade reviewers, like um, community reviewers, people who also review and read books similar to yours. So you can kind of build a readership from them too. The biggest thing is um, most reviewers work four to six months in advance and they have really good reasons why they need that amount of time. So play with their schedule, you know, really play by the rules and you'll have a better chance at getting picked up for a review in really bona fide magazines and newspapers and blogs and yeah, radio. My first novel, I, <clears throat> I was like kind of on a deadline. I was like, I want it out. And I didn't have anything before it came out. Cause I was like, well, I don't have a book yet. But yeah, there's a first time for everything. So, also, future sales or new books drive backlist sales, too. So the more books that you write and the more books that you sell will boost the sales for your backlist titles, especially for the fact that it was an Oregon Book Award finalist would help. So, I mean, you've got you've got things to your benefit. You've got a new book that's going to be coming out. You've got another book that was, a, you know, state award nominated. A lot of opportunity here. Did you create an... Uh a publishing name for yourself? No. Yeah, I would do that next time around um, because then it's not about you. Right. You know, you have this um, third party. Mm-hmm. It's you creating your own Switzerland. It's a brand. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. That thing that we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, public, publishing name, do you mean pen name? No, like you create a name for a press. And, you know, it's like XYZ Press or um, Teddy Bear Press or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. you want to. And you, it's mythical, but it makes you f- become more bona fide in the, in the eyes of a reviewer or a bookseller or. Everything's mythical. Yeah. Everything's made true. up. That's right. <laughs> we, were, we deal in fiction. <laughs> Yet. Yes. I'm currently writing a book. I have a cover ready. Um, I mostly promote on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. I made a Twitter, but I'm very bad at it. And you so might not want to even. <laughs> I have a lot happening. I have a full time job and I'm moving and I have a lot going on. So, how would you recommend balancing branding and promoting yourself with writing and also writing? do literally everything all the time yeah <laughs> so we're, we're asking how to balance one's life between a day job um uh writing the actual work and uh, marketing the work it's tough <laughs> but um but if you have like a timeline and a plan in place i mean really sitting down and taking some time to um 
you know, put something into place on how you want things to roll out, I think gives you a solid idea of what you should be doing day to day. Um, and from there, it kind of, I think, helps clarify how to use your time from day to day. And also, you're probably more effective in your time because you're like, I have one hour to get this done, so it's got to be done in this hour, um, which is kind of a nice part of being so busy is you um, are able to get things done more quickly and, um, and yeah, in a better way. But yeah, I think really putting a plan in place with a timeline and being... Um, and sticking to that and, and really choosing the things you want to focus on. So like I said before, don't try to do everything. Um, choose those things that you think are really going to have the most effect for you. Would you uh, suggest giving um, yourself more time than you think you need? Well, always. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something I think is going to take me 30 minutes. I sit there for four hours cause I'm like, Oh, I don't have the inspiration for this. So yeah. Um, yeah. You always probably need more time than you think. That's a good point. And you have to figure out, is this a race for you or is this a process that you're going to enjoy? Um, and you have to leave time to kind of recharge and refresh so that you can bring a fresh perspective to the page and give yourself breaks. Yes to breaks. Tea is great. Um, I would also consider using software or applications that can help you schedule things ahead so like hootsuite if you don't already use that is great they have a free account hootsuite h-o-o-t-s-u-i-t-e like an owl in a hotel yes exactly exactly <laughs> um only far more wholesome and far more beneficial what? um so hootsuite as a free account Holder, you can have up to, I believe, three different social media platforms on there that you can then input information schedule for whenever you want it to go out and it'll just disseminate it automatically. Um, of course, Facebook has scheduling options as well for your posts, particularly if you have a page. Um, if you don't already have one, having an author page on Facebook is a, a smart thing to have. Um, something to consider also is that if you are active on Instagram, Hootsuite does not Instagram does not allow in its terms and conditions for you to schedule something and then it'll push it out. You there are apps that you can use. You can use Hootsuite, but you have to actively push the button to make it do the thing. Does it integrate with Tumblr? Do you know? Y yes. Um Tumblr is tricky actually. So maybe we'll talk about that more detailed later. <laughs> Tumblr's a little tricky. Um, as far as like publishing goes, we'll, we'll find some links and put them on the website. <laughs> so, you know, software management like that can really help save you time, help you use your time more effectively and also ensure that you have everything lined up. So if you make a plan and you know what you want to say, you can go ahead and write it all down and plan it out and it'll just be done for the week. So you can take an afternoon on a Sunday and just knock it out. I think it's also important to have a day where you are not doing all of these things and for yourself. So, I mean, setting time aside, even if it's an afternoon like Sunday, yeah, just where you're not doing something because you will wear yourself out. So Burnout is real. Yeah. Yep, it's real. Did, did we see another question over here? Oh, no. With Tumblr, you can queue up posts. I've got three days. Oh, there you go. Oh, you, you do it within the program. You, you queue it up on Tumblr. It's like Facebook. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So if you spend an hour or two a week and plan everything out, then it does make it easier. 
I'm working with an author right now who, um, she got an amazing offer from a very, very big deal personality uh, who's a friend of her family to, he said, you know, send me some tweets and I'll put my social media people on it. Oh, that's nice. He has two million followers. That's nice. And so um, we scrambled around and we found the best person we could possibly find to write five tweets for us because none of us, like the author doesn't tweet and I do a little bit of tweeting, but I don't consider myself a professional at social media. Um, And when the publisher said, you know, we should hire someone to do this, I said, great, I'll help manage that person and get the, you know, tweets to the 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 benefactor Um, and they've been lovely to work with I mean really quite wonderful and so the first tweet went out today we're waiting to see how it works yeah so all to say ask for help you know there might be someone in your circle of friends or who work in social media or who um, can help you come up with some really inventive things and then it's fun and it's social and or make recommendations. Or make recommendations, yeah. Um, the the oldest form of social media is our mouth. Word of mouth. It's huge. It's huge. It's Keep huge. talking about what you're doing, and people will pick up on it, and they'll say, oh, I met this woman the other night who's writing a book. And- Tell your Lyft driver. <laughs> yeah, actually, they're pretty much paid to be chatty. Um <laughs> there's also the argument to be made when you are planning everything out on your social media to kind of pro- schedule in a, a bit of a buffer time for yourself so that if something does come up on say Tumblr or Twitter or Facebook that relates very closely to your brand or your book that you can pivot really quickly and just respond to it. That way you're jumping onto the social train, so to speak, and bringing your books along with you. So just not scheduling yourself to within an inch of your life. So just provide yourself a little bit of a buffer so that if something does come along, you can be like, yes, I can do that too. And you're not burned out. Do we have any more questions? Yes. Oh, okay. (laughs) I've heard authors doing trailers like on YouTube. Um, I guess Courtney, you're the social media expert can you give any advice or thoughts on that or so thoughts on book trailers on youtube i don't know that i've seen these on youtube so um authors authors ask me if they think a book trailer is worth it and book trailers can be made in so many different ways you can make a book trailer now with your iphone um and and imagination and um patience Um, it has to be under no more than two minutes. Um, it has, you have to have a destination. Why are you doing this and who is your market? So when an author tells me they're going to make a book trailer, I give them those guidelines and then, um, I say, send it to me when you're ready. And there are a couple of, um, publishing industry zines that you can send them to and they can they'll they might post them if they like it for free and so it might get 24 hours of potential book industry people looking at it um you can ask an independent bookstore if they will put it up on their website 
um, to help promote your book. Um, Everyone's looking at Lori. <laughs> you can say to a bookseller, you know, if you're if you've set up an event, you can say you can use my book trailer as um, a promo for my event. There you go. Um, just make sure you have a, an idea of how you're going to put this out into the world and not just throwing it up point. on YouTube where yeah. there are millions of Yeah, films. make sure you have a use for it. Don't put all that time in and not have a use. I think that right. is, yeah. Also, make sure that it's something that actually occurs in your genre. So um, if you are writing a genre and you, like, say, Google book trailers for this comp title and nothing comes up, it's probably because there's really no need for it. And because there's no need for it, it won't actually come up if somebody searches for something. So book trailers in YA are kind of ubiquitous. Book trailers in children's in general are kind of ubiquitous. Um, romance, yes, there's some really quirky and cute stuff that, that they do. But like westerns, that's not really the demographic. Um, suspense, of course, trailers. Thrillers, of course, trailers. You just kind of got to be aware of your audience. And if a trailer is something that would appeal to them, if it essentially is going to do double duty, if it's going to appeal to them, if it's going to pique their interest, then yes. If it's not something that comes up a lot in that genre, I would probably say your time, your energy, and potentially your money might be spent in a different avenue. Honestly, the cutest trailer I think I ever saw, I was... <laughs> working with picture books and this woman had written essentially like a um of old mcdonald type of book only it was like the donkey let all the animals out of the the barn and so the farmer had gone to town and the, the animals got, got loose so what she did was that she had a bunch of like little plushies essentially have a conversation about the book that's adorable it was stinking cute it was stupid cute and it actually got not an excessive, crazy amount of views, but it got enough views and enough attention just from her sharing it and from other people sharing it. And she had it at events and things like that. And her family and her friends shared it too. And it got some good, some nice traction. But, you know, something cute like that that's appropriate to the genre really makes the biggest difference. So the, the book I was talking about earlier that this, these two women co-wrote, they made their own book trailer. And it was very clever. Um, and... Um, one of them is, uh, well, both of them are very facile in foreign languages. So I had them translated into German, French, Italian, and Spanish. And so when I was at the Frankfurt Book Fair trying to sell foreign rights, I showed people the, you know, if I was meeting with the Spanish agent, she got the Spanish version. And, and uh, the Italian agent adored it, and he said he was going to show it to the editors. I'm you sorry, know, that that's he was, a really sexy idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My marketing and PR brain is just like bang. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's been. It was fun. That's awesome. And I, you know, I think they took an afternoon for them to make it. And granted, one of them's husband composed some music for it, and and they both did the translation in the various languages that they were proficient in. So, but, but you're also saying don't like throw a whole bunch of money at making a movie. No, not necessarily. Um, you can absolutely like Mary and Courtney said, you can absolutely do it on your phone. You can do it in the comfort of your own home. It just kind of depends on the needs of the video, what it's going to do, who it's going to reach. Also like what your scope of planning for it is. If you, 
if it's something that you want to invest in and you want to put some money into, then it might be worth looking into a more a professional to help you out. But it's not strictly necessary. I mean, the video I was talking about, she literally did it with a, like, I don't even know if she did it with a cell phone. I think she did it with a handheld camera <laughs> in an afternoon on her couch with, like, a book and two plushies having a conversation. And the conver- the people having the conversation were her grandkids. No, stop it. <laughs> so it was just that, like, really young kind of squeaky voice. One for like a rabbit and one for like a donkey. It was it was like I said ridiculously cute. So you do not have to put a high production value in it, unless you absolutely want to. But again, you got to consider where is your money better spent. Enough of this adorable filth. Um, <laughs> and we uh, one more. Let's do. Um, so I've noticed a lot of authors now on YouTube and using that as part of their brand, and I was wondering what you thought about that because I've been considering. All right. So, what do we think? What do we think of uh, using YouTube as part of your brand building as an author? I have nothing to say about it. I have no idea <laughs> whatsoever. I mean, YouTube can be a great tool for um, for any brand. It's just, it's again, you have to choose what avenue you want to go down and make sure you're uh, putting the most effort you can into it and not half-assing it. Otherwise it's not going to bring anything for you. So yeah, I mean, if that's something that you think is going to work for you and you'll have an audience, then, um, yeah, it's worth, worth exploring and, and working on. Also YouTube, like every other social media platform is rather saturated. So you got to consider what are you bringing to the table? That's different. What are you bringing to the table that's going to pe- to appeal to your potential readership? What are you going to do that is going to stand out? Um, yes, in the back. Laurie. Mark, you are going to also, the youngest generation is currently on to TikTok. We have moved on. Yes, so this is true. we're saying we've moved on from YouTube to TikTok. So by the time your book is finished, you may need to research what social media platform you're going on to at that point also. And actually, as because I my day job, I work with graphic novels and comic books. Um, so I primarily work with a younger audience and a male dominated audience. Um, but I have actually been reached out to by people on TikTok saying, we really love this book. Is there any chance that I can get a review copy and I will do a sketch of the characters based on the cover? I'm like, that's a really cute, really cool idea. Something like that stands out, especially on TikTok. If I've seen videos like that on YouTube. So just... Kind of seeing what's already available and maybe giving it a spin, making it a little bit different, or looking to different social media avenues like TikTok or what else is up and coming. I don't even know. I think I'm too old for that. But that, that's that, you never that's what know. I know. Yeah, it's, well, you should get on it because they have cats. I do like cats. <laughs> It's yeah, you can get real suckered in on there. It's unfortunate. Oh, much time you is can it spend. though? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's better. Any of these? Yeah. They have cats. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of cats. Not as not videos as many times. Come on, cat videos. Come on. Yeah. Where did where did the where did the dun, 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 dun. that was TikTok? I love that video. Okay, <laughs> Mr. Sandman with the kitty cats. Oh. All right. I will put that link. Uh, Mr. Sandman with Kitty Cats from TikTok will be on the website. I am promising this right now. Ginger cat that you just know is like, I'm getting treats after 
Well, and then, but there's so many, all these people tried to do it with their own cats and it was a disaster. You did it, right? No. <laughs> oh, you just like, were you just, never mind. This cut. <laughs> Oh, you just sent it to me. Okay. <laughs> Lori? Bone into this whole branding conversation. The best sales for the last year was the Scottish grandmother yep. reading Wonky Donkey. Yep. Okay, so. There are these things that take your this entire conversation <laughs> to this whole other level. So, if you had somebody with an accent that can read your book on the <laughs> Although I will say um, a lot of publishers frown upon having people read your book in its entirety because it could be copyright infringement. Parti- I made the most sales for mm. She was giggling, be Lori. Creative. That's why. Be creative she with your marketing. She could actually read the book. She was laughing too hard. Take risks. Yes, however. <laughs> but I, not bad ones. I, I know a number of pub- <laughs> There are a number of publishers who specifically have people troll through the internet making sure that nobody is doing copyright infringement, particularly on YouTube, because then they will insist that the video gets taken down. This and is, YouTube always does it. And YouTube always does it. This is really annoying for teachers and librarians. However, it, it, if you read like the first couple of pages... That's fine. If you read the book in its entirety, there is the argument. If I can sit here and watch this video, I will not. No one's going to buy this book. I don't know. We all got brains, right? If you can bring me... We all got to think for ourselves. This is a fight. We will take... If you can bring me a Scott and read me the phone book, I will buy that. All right. Well, we're going to take this conversation off the podcast... Um, cause I know where it's going. <laughs> um, I think that that should be a wrap up there. Does uh, anybody have any pressing questions that they want answered left? All right. Well, I would ask you, please, since everything is done through word of mouth, I am going to pass around a piece of paper and if you could put your email address on it uh, and be part of the hybrid pub scout community, um, it would be awesome to have authors. We want more authors there contributing to the conversation, getting editors, authors, agents, publishers, everyone who, uh, booksellers, everyone who works in publishing and books together to discuss the things that are important to us. Um, that's what Hybrid Pub Scout is trying to do. Lori with Jans is uh, creating community in an active like physical space rather than online, although she does great Instagram videos. So that's what we're doing here. We're creating community. We're uh, giving things to each other. That is the general idea. So you can find us at Hybrid Pub Scout on Twitter, at Hybrid Pub Scout Pod on Instagram, and then on Facebook, Hybrid Pub Scout. And I'll be sending you newsletters with all the links. Um, but only like every two weeks. I don't spam. Um, anybody here have something to close with? Thanks for having us. Thanks for being Absolutely. here. Absolutely. This is my podcast. Premier. This is Courtney's first <laughs> podcast. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Also, best of luck in all of your publishing endeavors. Yeah. Yes. We know it's a hard road. You will get there. Yeah. And thanks for coming tonight and thanks for giving a rip about books. <laughs> <laughs>